Hey everyone, welcome to Reformed Podmatics, hosted by the pastors of Almond Valley Christian Reformed Church in Ripon, California. It's Pastor Mark Van Dyke and Pastor Zach Dewey, and this podcast exists to promote the vibrant, biblical, and historically informed face of Reformed theology, both in our context and beyond. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to Reformed Podmatics. I am Pastor Zach. And I am Pastor Mark. And today we're going to be uh, sort of picking up where we left off last week uh, in our episode about how to interpret the Bible. And if you have not listened to that, uh, we would definitely encourage you to go back and listen to that episode prior to joining us here, although you you don't necessarily have to. Mm -hmm. You could still learn some helpful things uh, just by listening to this episode. Um, and one, one thing to say before we really dive in uh, will be that we are, again, trying to keep our episodes a little bit shorter. We would love to hear feedback uh, from some of you. I know, actually, somebody at church this last Sunday reached out to me. Dusty, if you're listening, <laughs> hello, sir. Um, and appreciated that we're attempting to do shorter episodes, but mm-hmm. we would love to hear from, from everyone yeah. uh, their thoughts. But uh, yeah, so today, picking up where we left off last week on interpreting Scripture Uh, One of the main ideas we looked at last week is that as Reformed Christians, we want to take the Bible seriously. And as we take it seriously, this means we will read it humbly or submissively. Mm -hmm. Uh, We will receive it and we will interpret it, therefore, in its natural or plain sense. Um, But one of these words is very controversial, plain, (laughs) the plain sense of Scripture. Um, And so we want to talk about this idea of the plain sense of scripture and, and particularly uh, sort of its counterpart um, obfuscation, this obfuscation of scripture, the yeah. the muddying of scripture, the obscuring of scripture. Um, we see this happening a lot in the church around us. Um, we see, I think, examples aplenty yeah. of people who will read scripture and will seek to to twist it or to mend it to their own uh, preferences, their own aims, or their own beliefs that they already hold to. Um, would you agree with that? Yeah, and, and not just their own, but um, often this is done to make Scripture appealing hmm. to people and sort of, this text point. isn't as clear as you think it is, and it's just open to interpretation, and so hmm. um, you don't have to give this text or this passage in Romans, this interpretation, because it's up to you. It's the mm. what's called by intellectuals the reader response mm. um, interpretation. Yeah, uh, that 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 means that a text might not have a, an exact meaning, but it's just open to you of mm. what it might be, what the Spirit might be teaching you today. And so, yeah. it, in in one hand, certainly people might obfuscate Scripture for their own purposes because of what they like. Sure, but in other cases, it might just be to to broaden the meaning so much that it loses its edge, it loses its offense, mm-hmm. and yeah. um, and is just like makes makes me more acceptable or my church more acceptable. Yeah, that's a really great point. Um, the, the people people aren't necessarily trying to bend scripture to their own ideas, but they're often trying to bend it or nuance it in yeah. ways that make it more palatable yeah, uh, to the person who 
who may not believe it. Um, and so one of the, one of our theme verses, I think, for for this episode is from Second Peter three sixteen, where the apostle Peter says this, and this is an interesting and very helpful statement. He says there are some things in Paul's letters that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. So this, if we were just to look at this, is a very, very important passage. It says uh, at least three things. Simply, the first one we could say, he's admitting that Paul's letters are hard to understand. Um, This is true of scripture sometimes. Scripture in general, not just Paul's letters, can be hard to understand. That's an important thing to keep in mind. That doesn't mean it's impossible to understand, that it Mm -hmm. can't be understood, uh, but that it's often difficult. It would require more mental work, and we'll look at that idea uh, more uh, to come. Hmm. Then he says, which are the ignorant and unstable twists to their own destruction. So people take hard things and they will often twist them to their own destruction. But he notes that these are ignorant people and unstable people. So sometimes these people may be doing this unknowingly. They may may be unknowingly, unwittingly obscuring scripture. Other times they are unstable people. They are Mm. unprincipled people. They don't have anything that gives them a foundation. Mm -hmm. And so they're twisting their scriptures to their own belief. And then as they do the other scriptures, the final statement in this sentence actually shows that Paul's writings are considered scripture. (laughs) Um, Because he's saying people twist Paul's writings and the other scriptures. So it's sort of by... By that statement is joining Paul's writings as scripture. So if you yeah. ever have any doubt that Paul's writings are scripture, that's one quick verse you can think of that helps to make that clear. Um, but what we want to focus on today is this twisting, this mm-hmm. uh, this uh, taking what scripture means and changing its meaning a little bit. Yeah. Um, and often this sort of takes place through a sort of conspiratorial way. People sort of are willfully trying to misread something. Mm. Um, I was just playing the game Green Glass Door a few days ago with my brothers-in-law, uh, Bailey, Bailey's little brothers. <laughs> and the, if you don't know the game Green, Gla- Green Glass Door, I'm going to ruin it for everyone, but it's a game where certain things can go through the proverbial Green Glass Door, but other things cannot. And so you could say a foot could go through, but a shoe cannot, or a tummy can go through, but not a stomach. And so this will confuse people, and you have to figure out what the rule is for why certain things can go through the green glass door and why other things cannot go through the green glass door. The rule, actually, if you think about it, is anything with two letters right next to each Uh other can go through, hence the title Green Glass Door. Um, and so some people though, when they're trying to think about what the rule is, will come up with all sorts of explanations that sure. may fit. Yeah. Uh, they may say, cause you may say, uh, grass can go through, but not a yard or that, uh, goop could go through, but not slime. And so you may think, oh, well, things that start with the letter G can go through and you, you can have this whole conspiracy about, yeah. oh, this explains the rule. But then you may be told later on, oh, no, the rule is actually two double letters. And so you're seeing something that you think is there, and you're ex- using that to explain something, uh, that, and it has explanatory power, mm-hmm. but actually, when it comes down to it, that is not reality. Mm. And so I think that sometimes people 
read scripture in this way. They they try to explain it in other ways, but yeah. actually what they do unknowingly is explain it incorrectly. Yeah, and uh, maybe we don't want to harp on the issue too much because I know we've dealt with it in another podcast, but something like a feminist worldview would hmm. approach the scripture with that worldview uh, yeah. over top of uh, mm-hmm. the text and say, well, this text is really good because in John 4, Jesus gives dignity to this woman at the well, mm-hmm. but uh, this other text is really bad because yeah. it seems like this is against women, and so we should sort of discard this part of yes. the Bible. Um, and so this text is from God. This other text is really just more man-influenced. Man man right. And so we can kind of discard that and see that that's just a relic of an outdated past. Yeah, and so I think that's a, a good way of prefacing this conversation and we use the word obfuscate um it's not a word that is in our normal daily vocabulary (laughs) probably but i think it's a really helpful word because obfuscation gets to um the the muddying the um obscuring uh sometimes willful sometimes unintentional right um, good distinction clouding of the meaning of a scripture text and so we want to help you, a listener, um, I don't know if you're a Christian or not, but especially if you're a Christian, to discern between somebody who is obfuscating a, a scripture text that is meant to be understood, all of scripture is meant to be understood, it's all revelation that reveals mm-hmm. things about God, versus that, uh, so distinguish between the person who's obfuscating the revelation and the person who is really trying to explain something complex which yeah. many it happens often in scripture where there are hmm. complex ideas that are communicated in the bible that um that we need to dig into we need to work at at times i think of um martin luther uh starting the reformation i one of my very favorite passages or things that i've ever heard about biblical interpretation is where martin luther is studying romans one for a really long time and uh, he comes at it from this very legalistic worldview of late medieval pre-Reformation um, theology. And he, he's looking at the text of Romans 1. It seems to be full of grace and encouraging faith, and he can't quite understand what that means. And um, so he's studying Romans 1 for a long time, and, and his quote about it was, I will not let the text go until it blesses me. Hmm. Um, so hearkening back to the story of Jacob yeah. wrestling with God. And and I think that at times needs to be our posture towards Scripture, to, to not let go of something until it blesses us. But there are many of those texts also that are plainly understood. And mm-hmm. John 3.16 means that you need to believe that God sent his Son, yeah. and if you believe in him, you'll have life. And so it's that's pretty basic. But there are those other places in the Bible where complexity should be acknowledged Hmm. yeah we could say that this episode is really an exercise in the perspicuity of scripture which is just a fancy theological word for clarity yeah the clarity of accessibility yeah the accessibility the intelligibility Mm -hmm. the understandability of scripture Um, and so by looking at obfuscation and examples of obfuscation, we can see how the Bible actually is clear. And so we as Protestants really deeply believe the clarity of Scripture. This is not to say that the Scriptures are very simple at all points. Peter, again, mm-hmm. as we've seen, says Paul's writings are can be hard to understand. 
but it is to say that if we are to use our God-given reason, uh, we can receive and understand what Scripture is saying. This will take work often. Um, some books are easier to read than others. The book of John, for, for example, is a little easier to understand, at least on the surface level, um, some of the big ideas that it's getting across than, say, the book of Romans. The book of Romans may require you to think a little bit more deeply and follow a very long and drawn out uh, argument being made over the course of several chapters. Um, and Especially so, Old Testament prophecy, Zechariah, yeah, Ezekiel, yeah. Jeremiah, like um, the, the, sometimes it might take some work for the modern reader to, yeah. to really comprehend some of what is happening there, the second half of Daniel. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to learn some cultural symbolism and things like that. Yeah. Revelation is, is that way as well. Um, and For so, sure. yeah, some of it is on the surface, just accessible, perspicuous. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, others needs to be, has a meaning that you can access, but it might, you might have to wrestle. Yeah. And you will, we also don't, don't want to forget the fact that you need the spirit also to, to help you understand scripture. Uh, the scripture has to be read uh, by the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Uh, these are spiritual things to be understood spiritually. Um, and that's not just in some vague spiritually sense, but in the sense of the Holy Spirit with a capital S. He enlightens and illumines our minds that we may understand the truth of Scripture and through it, the, the truth of the gospel, that we may know Christ in a saving sense. Mm-hmm. And so to say all this is also to make a theological point about God. God speaks clearly. Yeah. Uh, God does, in a sense, as Calvin sort of implies in his institutes, he does sort of stoop down like a mother and lisp to, to us as his newborn infants. But in the same token, by the same token, we also are called to use all of our creaturely faculties and understanding and intellect and reason to try to, th- to listen as receptively as we can to mm. God to hear his speech as mature adults, as mature Christians and believers. Um, so we should think deeply. Um, so it's both and. God does accommodate our creatureliness mm. in his speaking to us. Uh, but we also must use and strive to use our minds. Yeah, and what we want to avoid in uh, as Christians, especially as Reformed Christians, are the two extremes. And so yeah. the one extreme is the obfuscator who basically says, wow, the Bible is complicated mm-hmm. and calls everything into question. Um, this would be more of the Protestant liberalism mm-hmm. uh you know, to each his own for their interpretation of a text. Uh, what does it mean for you? Yeah. Um, versus the other extreme would be fundamentalism. And so the fundamentalist says the, there is no mystery. Yeah, um, absolutely the, clear. The Bible, you know, uh, the Bible tells me so. And so I can just read what the, the text says on its surface, mm-hmm. what it plainly says, if you want to misinterpret what we said in our last uh, episode. And uh, because, uh, for example, Paul wrote in to the Thessalonian church that believers will be caught up with the <laughs> Lord in the air, then that's the rapture, and um, that's just what the Bible plainly says, even though yeah. it's actually not saying that in our Reformed view. You could call um, this bada-bing, bada-boom interpretation. <laughs> <laughs> right, like, there it is right there. And so, um, no mystery, no no work in cultural and um, analysis, uh, yeah. uh, grammatical analysis of yeah. what the actual Greek or Hebrew words meant. 
Um, there it is. Uh, my King James Bible's got mm -hmm. it right there. And uh, that's the best translation there is. And, and so <laughs> I'm just going to go with what the Bible says. I'm going to take it literally, they, yep. they would say. Yep. And so we want to find ourselves in between the obfuscator who says everything is mystery and mm -hmm. the fundamentalist who says there is no mystery or there is no hard work that needs to be done in interpreting. Um, maybe mystery is even too strong a word because I, I do think the Bible is accessible to yeah. uh, any person gifted with the Holy Spirit who has the word of God in your hand to understand what you need to understand. In a saving way. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. While also saying some of it is going to require some thought. Mm -hmm. And I, I have to laugh a little bit because this is really the point of a sermon in mm -hmm. a lot of ways that, yeah. yes, the Bible is accessible, absolutely. Um, I, and I think it was John who, who wrote that you don't need anyone to teach you because you have God's spirit within you to mm -hmm. understand the word. And that's not a message against preachers or against theologians. It's a, it's a message that reminds you that you have Christ's spirit within you helping you know him. Yeah. But there remains this learning that we need to be doing together in community, in the church hmm. of God's word. And so you don't need a sermon because the Bible isn't clear. Mm -hmm. You need a sermon because uh, we as fallible human beings need to refine one another in our understanding of um, this this great word of God. So uh, I, I do think that if, if you take away one lesson from this episode, it would be let's reject the obfuscations that just will knee-jerk back to, okay, um, this is sort of a difficult moral teaching um, or what do we do with these Levitical ceremonial laws that seem strange to us? Knee-jerk reaction. Oh, well, the Bible isn't as clear as you think it, need, it is, and maybe <laughs> we just don't need that anymore. That We reject that, but we also reject um, just the turning your brain off for the Bible tells me so. And, yeah. um, because we'll, maybe we'll get to a few examples, but there, there's a few places where mm -hmm. uh, the Bible is saying something um, actually quite clearly that in our current culture could be misinterpreted or um, misunderstood. Yeah, there's a few things yeah. that come to mind as you say all of that. The first, going back to your point about how it could be understood understood in a saving way by nearly anyone, makes me think of the old uh, William Tyndale quote hmm. where he gets into a feist, fight with a, a Roman Catholic priest or a couple of priests and says, um, if I live long enough, I will see to it that the boy... Driving the plow will know more of Scripture than any of you. Mm. Um, so that's sort of a mm -hmm. Protestant view. He's 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 saying that even a young child will be able to know the Scriptures. It'll be he was talking about the translation of Scripture into English and how prevalent Scripture would be that even a young child would know it. Mm. But I think what it's also being meant there is that even a young child could savingly know it. Mm -hmm. So that talks. That's also sort of indirectly gets to the perspicuity issue of Scripture. Mm -hmm. Another point that you talked about was about the use of reason in interpreting Scripture, the use of, of having to, to think. Um, God requires us to think, and I think that this is spelled out in the Westminster mm. uh, Confession when it talks about uh, things that can be deduced by good and necessary consequence, which is an important clause in the, mm. in the interpretation of Scripture. We can use good and necessary consequence. We can use our rationality, not to drive the meaning of Scripture or to determine for ourselves what Scripture means, 
and to, and to say what it means, but to listen and to think through what it is saying so that we may understand it properly. Um, and thirdly, I think that we can make a theological point about about God and all of this. God speaks clearly enough to accomplish his yeah. purposes. God is omnipotent. He is omnipresent and he is omnibenevolent. And so he is the God in the heavens who does all that he pleases. All things work according to the counsel of his will. And so if he wants to save a people, he will do all that it takes, no more, no less, to save them. Um, and he has done that. He has given us his revelation to reveal himself to us in a way that can be understood enough by us, maybe not perfectly. I don't think humans will ever have mm. all of Scripture <laughs> totally mined and figured out, mm. but we will know it in a way that is enough for us to be saved and to live our lives in ways that glorify him. Yeah. This is what I, th- I think Second uh, Timothy 3 is talking about when it talks about all Scripture is God-breathed yeah. and profitable for rebuke, for correction, and for living a godly life. Um, those are the sort of things that that are true because God is the one who superintends the writing of scripture. So I really love this quote from John Webster, uh, a famous reformed and Anglican theologian who died just five years ago. He wrote, revelation is purposive. Its end is not simply divine self-display, but the overcoming of human opposition, alienation, and pride, and their replacement by knowledge, love, and fear of God. In short, revelation is reconciliation. Hmm. So God's revelation in both natural revelation and in special revelation or general revelation and special revelation is purposive in the sense that God is going to accomplish through his word that which he wants to accomplish. And so that must mean that it is intelligible. Yeah. Um, and God makes it intelligible by his spirit. Yeah, to the obfuscator, the person who emphasizes uh, the the mystery always of the Bible is saying something about the nature of God that um, either God can't or God has chosen not to communicate clearly Mm -hmm. to us. Um, So uh, there are all kinds of issues with that, of course. But I think a a good case in point here of where we want to go with this episode is to think about the book of Revelation. Yeah. So it's called Revelation because it's revealing something about God and some just to go right along with the quote from Webster there, which is a great quote. Um, God is revealing something so that he might be known and so that you could understand something about mm-hmm. God. So there would be the, the obfuscators who would look at revelation and say, this is just so cultural and un, uh, un- incomprehensible maybe to us right. um, that uh, it would hardly be worth studying. In fact, I would be curious how often the book of Revelation is studied from front to back in more liberal traditions. Mm-hmm. I would say it would probably be very rare that, yeah. that that would be studied very much just because that sense of um, obscure, uh, sort of the obscuring of Scripture and maybe even a deep down a, a sense of uselessness of mm-hmm. a book of the Bible like that. Um, mm-hmm. I know Ezekiel is one of the least read books of the Bible for a similar reason, mm-hmm. that uh, you have to work at it. Yeah. You have to wrestle with it to use Luther's um, uh, illustration in order to, to sort of gain that blessing. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the other side, the fundamentalist would just want to read Revelation and say, well, we're waiting for those um, the pale rider on his white horse to, yeah. to come back, and that's got to be just how it is, and that can't be 
symbolic or um, yeah. we don't even really have to use our minds. We can just, uh, this Jehovah's that. Witnesses this, does this. The symbol means this, 144,000 yep. means 144,000. That's what that is right there, even though right after that it says then there was a multitude nobody could count who was <laughs> worshiping the Lord. And so um, you can see in a book like Revelation how the obfuscator has very little use for it and the fundamentalist is going to, I believe, almost surely misinterpret Shoehorn the Bible. interpretations. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and so we want to encourage a Reformed understanding, which says the Bible is understandable, it is accessible, it is the Word of God, which reveals something about God, and in a book like Revelation in particular, hmm. uh, we're going to work together to, to get to that. Um, yeah, and that's a good thing for us to do. And in that sense, it's not much different than what you what a high school freshman teacher tells a freshman student about reading some Shakespeare. Yeah, this thirteen year old or fourteen year old may complain and bemoan the fact that they're being forced to read something that's difficult for them to understand. Does that mean that Shakespeare is not understandable? No, Shakespeare is understandable, but you will have to use your mind to think through uh, maybe the older idioms of English that don't make sense to us as as moderns and so on. You may have to do a little bit of history to know what he's talking about, or you may have to look at a map to know about the different places that he's that he's speaking of. Mm. But you can do that. You can understand it if you put your mind to it. Yeah, and so let's give some examples where um, the Bible um, says something that is actually more complex. So uh, <laughs> this could sound like we're going to try to obfuscate a little bit but I, yeah. that is not what we're trying to do here at all <laughs> but what we want to do sh- what we want to show is um, that there there will be places in scripture where just taking the words at face value especially if they're extracted from their context hmm. um, could be very unhelpful um, you want to start with one that that we have on our list here maybe we could just pick like two of these yeah um, so I think the best two that we've put down are first Peter 321 yeah where Peter simply says baptism, which corresponds to this, and he's talking about the the ark and Noah. He says, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So if you were to read that, and some translations will actually put the first words as baptism now saves you. Mm. And if you have the bada-bing, bada-boom interpretive model, um, you will say, there it is. Uh, baptism and baptismal regeneration uh, is quite clear. Baptism saves you. Mm. And so you could walk away saying, look, I believe the Bible. I take it at face value. I I don't twist scripture. I don't play around with scripture. Mm-hmm. And so therefore I believe in baptismal regeneration in the strict ex opere operato sense that by the working of the work, if somebody's dunked in water or sprinkled with water, they are a saved Christian. Uh, that that could be a leg- legitimate way of, of interpreting that uh, if mm. you take it very, very simply. And so what would a response be to that, Mark? What is a better interpretation of that text? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, How would you respond to that person? Baptism now, well, it's a reference to baptism uh, being a part of the way that God works salvation out in our lives, right? And and so it's still by grace that you're saved through faith. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I that would sort of be my initial. It wouldn't be baptism itself, of course, mm-hmm. that saves you. That would be a work of humans 
yeah. uh, that would save a person. Um, I and, think even there's some there's some words here that give us a little bit to go off of. He, Peter is clarifying yeah. that it, this doesn't happen as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. Right. And so what he's saying is it doesn't save you by this outward yeah. operation. It saves you because of something inward. And so in the Reformed tradition, we, we believe in what we call the sign signified and the sign itself. There's outward, the physical act of baptism, which is the sign, and that and that points to something that is signified, which is inward baptism. Yeah. It is the cutting off of the flesh, and the so it's the dying with Christ and being raised to new life. And that's what this is talking about. This is why Peter then says, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That actually, that mm. statement links this up with Romans chapter 6, where Paul talks about baptism as well. He says, in baptism, you have died with Christ, and you've been raised with him to new life. And so this is actually a spiritual inward reality. The the sign and the the thing signified are really connected very intimately, uh, but just because somebody is dunked doesn't mean that they are voila right made it made it an alive believer now there are sort there are maybe some some other things to say here um and maybe somebody who's more thoughtful could could say some very helpful things but uh, i think that we could also say as you were saying mark that if if it's by this work if it's just by somebody being dunked or sprinkled um then that seems to work against what paul very clearly says about how it's not salvation is not by works but by grace through faith. There are many examples that we could also give. Yeah, of we could multiply the examples of clear teaching of Scripture. Hmm. Um, so what we've just done is we've given examples of places where the Scripture actually needs some explanation, and that's a good thing to explain. But hmm. on the flip side, there are many places, of course, in the Bible that really do mean what they say on the surface, even if people in our culture don't like it and would prefer yeah. to obfuscate it. So do you want to give one quick example yeah, one, of that? Yeah, one big one that come to mi- comes to mind, and especially in the last few years, is 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. And here it appears to say that homosexual activity is sinful. And so I'll just read it. For, this is from the ESV, and the story of translation is actually really important. But the ESV reads like this, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And so there's a lot of fuss over this particular Mm -hmm. passage uh, and verse 9 to be more precise, where mm-hmm. it says, nor men who practice homosexuality. This is actually a translation of two different Greek words. One is malikos, and the other one is arsenikoites. Uh, malikos would be would refer to a passive male in a sexual act, and arsenikoites would refer to a active male in a sexual act. And there's actually a documentary that... Um, Hmm. is being produced and it's called 1946 a mistranslation that shifted a culture and it makes a big deal of the fact that the the word homosexuality that we see here in the ESV and in other other modern translations uh, was not ever translated that way in any bible translation prior to the RSV the revised standard version in 1946 and so 
what it tries to do is to show that this is a sort of new way of translating mm. it and that this is a mistranslation as the title of the movie is a mistranslation that shifted a culture and basically made Christians much more abusive and hateful and spiteful towards uh, people of a homosexual orientation. Yeah, and so even though there are many places in Scripture that uh, not only deal directly with the issue of homosexuality, but even far, far more uh, passages of Scripture that talk about marriage and Hmm. gender and um, especially, of course, the the first definition of marriage given in Genesis that a man shall separate from mm-hmm. his family and cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh as mm-hmm. being the definition of marriage that Jesus gave. Um, the obfuscator will come along and say, no, just look at what happened with the translation of mm-hmm. these words. And um, it, it is often the case that an obfuscator will isolate certain things and if mm-hmm. they feel they can explain away one verse or yeah. uh, in this case of homosexuality six verses in uh, in the Bible well then the whole problem is solved yeah uh, and the Christian the thinking Christian must reject that of course that um, there are those six verses that cumulatively seem to teach that homosexual activity is sinful. Mm-hmm. But in addition to those, the Christian should also be thinking of Genesis and of Ephesians 5, which talks about marriage, which is a man and right. a woman. And um, Ephesians 5 makes absolutely zero sense if we're talking about two men in a yeah. marriage or two women in a marriage. It makes no sense at all. Mm-hmm. And so... The obfuscator is often very good at isolating, mm-hmm. and um, <laughs> that's the whole point of a documentary: is to isolate one verse. It's even literally a, a all about that words. one verse. And yeah. if we can get that uh, sort of plant the seed of doubt in your mind about that, then the whole thing is up for grabs. Which yep. um, the the historically minded, biblically minded Christian. Mm-hmm. should be able to see through pretty easily, mm-hmm. but it is a convincing argument in our culture for many. Yeah, so the obfuscation here often goes the route of saying that these words, malikos and sinekoites, what they actually refer to is male prostitution, particularly of a older man and a younger boy. And, there's sort of and an so there's, a, there's an abusive yeah. taking advantage of another human being. So there's a power imbalance here that's being perpetrated. And so that is actually what, what Paul, yeah. they, they would say, that's what Paul is condemning. Now, of course, we would condemn that sure. with equal strength. Yeah. Uh, we would say that that is wicked uh, to do something like that. Um, so they say it's the power abuse that actually is what is sinful, uh, not the the male-male sexual activity that's taking place. Um, mm. The problem here is that there's absolutely nothing in the rest of scripture that even hints at even a neutral position towards yeah. a male and a male and a, a long-term pr- relationship. So that's often yeah. another route that they'll go. They'll say something like, well, the Bible has is not, doesn't, doesn't have in mind, um, modern, modern yeah. monogamous, uh, lifelong same sex relationships. Sure. It has abusive relationships in mind and that's what it condemns, but not, not not what we know of as as gay relationships that are lifelong and so therefore because the bible doesn't condemn it it's okay the problem with that is that there's nothing in scripture 
at all, which even remotely nuances that position. Maybe the closest thing we could come up with would be David and Jonathan and their close yeah. their close friendship, and then telling that they telling each other they love each other more than the love of a woman. Uh, but that is to read way too deep into yeah. that passage as well. And both of them are married to women. Yeah, and so. they're clearly uh, straight in their orientation. David had an issue with <laughs> clearly <laughs> the heterosexual. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, right. and so there's that that's i would say a good example of of obfuscation taking place yeah that's one of the prime examples i i just as we close i would give a general one that it's becoming really popular for people to question um what the bible even is and to kind of obfuscate the purpose of the bible yeah that's uh, a great so point. uh it's it's common to call the bible a story mm-hmm. and um this is unhelpful to me uh, because it's it's God's word. It is a special book with um, a very special purpose. It's special in its holiness and in, in its perfection. Uh, it's special in the uh, the what it reveals is spe- it's special revelation is a word mm-hmm. that that we even have for for the word of God. And mm-hmm. so um, when perhaps well-meaning evangelical ministers say it's a story it's you got to find yourself in the story and it's it's a story that talks about your story and and a lot of that is is true in a way Mm -hmm. that there is i think a story arc to the bible that's clear um, yeah that of course it starts with creation and it ends with the new creation and in the middle is uh sin and and salvation through christ and so it has that story arc but just to what I would say obfuscate what it actually is as a story book is very unhelpful for interpreting it correctly. For example, mm-hmm. it's a book with laws in it, and I don't know of any story book that has laws that are meant to be unequivocally and absolutely obeyed <laughs> by the reader. So it's a different kind yeah. of book than a story book, and and um, how we think and talk about the Bible should. Uh, maintain its holiness, its perfection, and its uniqueness, mm-hmm. uh, and its its sort of differentiation from any other kind of book that's ever been written. Um, so that's sort of a general example, and there are all kinds of places in the Bible that are uh, obfuscated uh, passages, amazingly misinterpreted at times. And as we close, I, I do just mm-hmm. want to reiterate and and um, revisit the main purpose of the episode, which is yeah. that when you hear a minister or a Christian uh, responding to a text, a text of Scripture by saying, well, the Bible isn't as clear as you think it is, um, which happens in the Christian Reformed Church right now, where yeah. uh, passages about homosexuality or even passages about things like substitutionary atonement um, are, or, or laws uh, from Old and New Testament uh, are are talked about in a public sphere, and the immediate reaction is the Bible isn't as clear as you think it is. That is a major red flag, and I don't think I would ever want to start in yeah. that place. That shouldn't be the emphasis. No, with with one a member of my church um, is to say somebody say somebody comes in with to my office tomorrow with a very complicated text of scripture my answer to them will certainly not be to start with, wow, the Bible really isn't clear here, is it? That, that's just starting from a place of doubt more mm-hmm. than a place of faith in, in God and mm-hmm. in the clarity 
that would that God um, communicates in. And so, yeah. um, instead of going there, I think that we we can say, "Wow, this passage is complex. Hmm. Let's trust that it's in Scripture for a very good reason. It's for our benefit that it's in the Bible. So let's dig into it. Let's yeah. discover why it's there. Let's get to the principle underneath the the teaching about." Um, being saved through childbearing or uh, being saved through baptism or women covering their heads in worship and men mm-hmm. lifting their hands in worship and greeting one another with a holy kiss. Let's get to the to the principle under there and discover why it's really good that it's in the Bible. Yeah, yeah, and we should know that when somebody says it's not really as clear as you think it is, they're probably wielding that as a weapon to make you feel dumb so that you will then mm-hmm. listen to their mm-hmm. more enlightened approach. Yeah. Um, now, they may actually come to the right conclusion. And they, you know, I would say that I, in a sense, agree that First Corinthians 6, verse 9 is not as clear as maybe a modern translation makes it out to be. There is some depth to that. There is yeah. some interesting things you could learn about uh, prostitution between men and boys in the ancient world, and particularly in the city of Corinth, mm-hmm. where I'm sure that that was happening. It's quite clear that it was. Yeah. So on the surface, if you just read the words and don't do any thinking, you may think, oh, this is absolutely clear. And I would say, well, it actually is not that clear, but it still is true that yeah. homosexuality, uh, those who practice it, do not receive or inherit the kingdom of God. And so sometimes things are deeper. We do have to think, but we shouldn't yeah. We shouldn't have a problem with that. But I think you're right. We shouldn't make that our big point, that the Bible is not clear. We should believe and trust that when we wrestle with it, when we cling to it, when we humbly submit to it, God will reveal his truth to us in time. Um, it may not even be in this lifetime. It may be in the next, but that we will stand and abide with scripture uh, wherever it it calls us to go. Yeah. And so uh, it's, good, um, it's good that we get into this issue because it's going to be a phenomenon that the Christian encounters a lot, uh, not just outside the church, but within the church, obfuscating scripture. This isn't as clear as you might think, and let me give you the reinterpretation. Um, I, I do agree with you often, that is kind of a power grab. Yeah. Um, and so, not always the case, of course, sometimes it's done in a well-meaning way, but um, hopefully you are leaving um, <laughs> sermons and uh, Bible studies and your own Bible reading with a sense that God has spoken clearly to you about yeah. something in our world, something in your life, something of his nature and character, to me that is one of the marks of, of real revelation, is that that you will grow in clarity hmm. in your knowledge of God and of the world that he's made. So hmm. um, to me, the good minister uh, recognizes the complexity of many things and yeah. even the mystery of God's character, while also encouraging people to have faith faith that's built on knowledge that's built Mm -hmm. um that is not illogical um but that is is really rooted in the clear teaching of the bible so um, amen so thank you for listening and uh um so much for our shorter episode well we'll uh, (laughs) we'll see how we can do in the weeks ahead Uh, we have a special episode that we'll tease for you coming up Next week, um, we're going to do a review of the book Jesus and John Wayne, which is kind of sweeping the <laughs> evangelical world by storm, especially yeah. what some would call the ex-evangelical world, people who were formerly evangelical and yep. maybe a little bit disenfranchised with uh, evangelical um, positions over the past 
seven or eight years. Um, the book Jesus and John Wayne, we will we have read it and we will offer a review in our next episode. So with a guest, yes, we will have a special <laughs> guest author um, who's who's a big fan of the book, and so. Um, Hopefully, this has been helpful to you and uh, yeah. that your faith could could grow today. You could grow in faith, not just in God, but in trust of his word, too. Amen. Grace and peace, you guys. See you next week. Bye.